0: Hi and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about classical education, old books, philosophy, literature, uh, maybe music, definitely some Doors, and. Um, <laughs> Do you hate that? I'm never gonna up? live that down. No, we love the Doors. I'm okay um, with it. Yeah, that's a great. Those were great episodes, and uh, and sometimes we have books that were published in the mo in like the last couple of years. Um, so we're not consistent. We're not at consistent all. at all. Correct. Well, Thomas on his last episode did say that. He's, he gave the little intro and then he said, or whatever we feel like talking about. And yeah. I feel like that is a great clause for us to have in yeah. our intros because it's true. Yeah, probably. Um, and Thomas is, so we were looking up the definition of the word shrift before this podcast because apparently we are needing to confess our sins, Thomas. Is yeah, this what we're doing? This is exactly what we're doing. We're today. doing a fest shrift. A fest shrift.
1: What do we say? Fest sh- What does that mean?
2: Shrift is absolution or confession. So uh, and so a fest is like a party.
1: A party a
0: confession party. A confession party. Oh is man, in, in that sounds part, like you know? a. Bummer oh, of a party. That sounds like a <laughs> so, massive so party. So bad. Out. Your turn, AJ.
2: Oh. <laughs> oh no. Although I think after somebody gave their like weird confession, everybody's like, oh.
0: Yeah. I fun. feel like I've been to some Bible studies where it was like confession party. It was, yeah. Like, we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about our sins. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Yeah. Sounds great. awful.
2: I had a college pastor like that. You could. You could oh. like look in your soul and know your sin. Oh. That's oh not yeah. Cool. I never
0: liked meeting with him. Uh, he was a college pastor. Sounds yeah. like a cult leader. <laughs>
2: It didn't. He didn't yeah. end well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, bummer. You think
1: he's listening to the podcast? You want to give him a shout out? You want to? Nope. Not. Gonna, nope. Not at all.
0: <laughs> Do you join his army?
1: Was like, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not liking the sound of this at all. All right. So we are talking about a fest shrift, which I assume means nothing to most people. Uh, we are clearly it
0: means nothing to me and AJ because we we were totally wrong when we when you told us what it means.
1: Apparently, it means celebration writing, and literally fest shrift means feast script. So I guess script also means mm. confession. Oh, because the confession is like a back and forth mm. script. I don't know. I don't know. So, yes, we are talking about a book called Liber Amicorum, Essays and Reflections in Honor of Andrew Kern. Um, this, I guess, came out at the uh, most recent Circe conference because uh, I guess we'll get into the story in just a little bit. But before we go into this, so it's a, it's a collection of essays, like I said, in honor of Andrew Kern. But Andrew Kern's
0: okay. Uh, yes. What okay. do you mean? Oh, it's just he's not, he hasn't retired or died.
1: Uh, no. Okay.
0: So the, yeah,
1: so this is a book of essays that was put together uh, by Dr. Matt Bianca, who also works for the Circe Institute. It was supposed to be for the uh, 20th, it was, it was, whenever this was supposed to be given, COVID happened. So I think that's mm. 20, it was supposed to be in 2019. I'm just looking up the dates right now, um, that this was supposed to be presented, but it ended up being delayed a few years and this notification that it came out was July 2022. So I'm guessing that's when the book actually was presented to uh, Mr. Andrew Kern. So, uh, who? Before we get into like this book and any of that, uh, who is Andrew Kern or the Cersei
0: Institute? Which so, is- man, the Colonel uh, Andrew Kern is. Is, he, is he the, we call him the founder of the Cersei? Yep. So. Um, he is what a was it, public academic. Isn't that a yeah? He's a public academic. He's. Is that a title? Wasn't that something so they they like called us,
2: <laughs> or we looked up somebody and it's like they are public academics. <laughs> I think it's a title we wanted for ourselves. Was that
0: it? Yeah, I remember it came title. up in a previous episode. It's a great title. Um, yeah, but yes, he's an essayist. He's an academic. He is influential in classical education. Great public speaker. Great yeah. public speaker. He um, has had a number of podcasts. I'm. Un- Does he have books? I'm unsure if he yes. like. Has the been able to coherently put all his thoughts together into a book on
1: You've cited his book no fewer than a hundred times on this podcast. Which one? Well, you tell me. What's the name of his
0: book? Oh, I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've read his book.
1: Classical education: the movement sweeping America. I've never read it. No, no, you've referenced it. though. Oh, sure, okay. Because like the the subtitle is anyway. You've like you've called classical education the oh, movement sweeping America. No, that's just me being funny. Oh, okay. I, I think, was in,
0: I was not. Oh, that's funny. Oh, I had no idea he wrote. <laughs> that's his book. I, I, I honestly did not know he wrote that book. That's very funny. Um, I've only known him by by being in his sessions as a mm-hmm. speaker at the Society for Classical Learning. Um, Me Um and went out for dinner with him once. I don't know. He's like uh he's 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 always just got like He's the sage on the mountain. He's the sage yeah. on the mountain.
1: What do you mean by that?
2: He's the one out there doing all the thinking so we don't have to. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> no, he's um um <laughs> S- so he is Cersei. Analogy. No. So well, he, am, am <laughs> I wrong? Yeah, I think you are. I hope <laughs> you're wrong. So Cersei is an institution that not only puts out curriculum for like writing, yes. um, but they are uh um They've they've been sort of forefront in talking about classical Christian education, thinking through what are schools, what do we want. Um, so Kern is great. Uh, he's all there, people are frustrated with him because he'll say things like, "The only book you need to teach anybody anything is Homer," right. and you'd be like, "Oh, that sounds so cool. Tell me how." And then it's and then it's it's um, and he do, then he doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> he. Yeah, no, it, he does, but it's, it's
2: the title yeah. of his sessions are never really the way yes, the session yes, goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you and if you are expecting practical application, well, good luck, buddy. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, y'all are getting all the important stuff here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, also important, you made reference to this. He he founded the Circe Institute. What does for like I don't know a hundred million dollars? What does Circe
2: stand for?
0: She's the goddess on the no on no the island. What does Circe I mean, stand for? Pigs. No no classical
2: institute. You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> repeated collection. Uh huh.
1: Of education. It's a great, it's a great guess. It's, how did, how did you do it? Wow. Graham,
0: uh, what the is... The Center Institute <laughs> regarding <laughs> classical education.
2: That's uh, actually... The cowardly initiative.
1: <laughs> I'm liking this better. Okay, so... Circumventing uh-huh.
0: I-35.
2: Repeated...
0: <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, I don't
1: know. I hate it. So, uh, Cersei, it, it stands for two different things, which I, I find charming. Um, so I believe it was initially the Center for Independent Research on Classical <coughs> Education. You were pretty close pretty on that close. one. And then uh, secondarily, I believe this one comes later, Consulting and Integrated Resources for Classical Educators. So, they, so they're
2: so they just flipping it up yeah. on their same thing? <laughs> they, well, you can do that? You can have an acronym <laughs> and then just flip look, what all it all means? Look, man,
0: when you run something, you can do whatever you want to. Like, well, you know that classical stuff you should know is an acronym. C stands for classical. <laughs> L stands for <laughs> learning. It. If you can make this work. Uh, wait, hold a on. stands for ask me anything. Okay, good. Um, it's one
1: of my favorite yeah. things we do. Is he going to keep going? He's not.
2: Okay. USA, ugly, soggy ankles. We can just flip it up yeah, whenever yeah, we want to. Like your style. That's what it means now.
1: Um, but yeah, Cersei Institute, so Center for Independent Research on Classical Education, they put on conferences. I think those started in early 2000s. They, uh, they also have a blog where they put out great articles. It's where Josh Gibbs is is published through his Cedar Room is through the Searcy Institute. They have a publishing arm, I guess, also. They also mm-hmm. put out books. Uh, so you can find those all on the Searcy Institute website. Curriculum is an important part of what they do. They also do consulting for schools to help them to be a classical school. So there are many things. And then uh, I guess I already made reference. Have you all been to a Searcy Institute conference? No. Or just to SCL, S- Society for Classical Learning Conferences, yes. where You've either seen Andrew Kern mm-hmm. or... Uh,
0: but they do things where they'll do like retreats where yeah. teachers will go for either a weekend or even a longer time and they'll read through a book together as educators yeah. and do like a retreat on the Iliad or yeah. or Aeneid or something. They have another one that's
1: for... Did you say who that was for, or did you say they do? I research? said it was for teachers. For teachers, yeah. yeah. So uh, yes. So um, and they have a longer term one also. So yeah. there's like a short term, I think, where maybe a couple of weeks, and then a longer term. Mm-hmm. And one. then they've
0: also got a, some kind of a, not accreditation, but they've got teacher training that they do. You can do a program. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So they do a lot of stuff. Uh, the resources are great. So if you're like in classical land, I assume you've heard of this this group, but uh, you should check them out. They're great. Uh, we so have a land.
2: Yeah, they have land. They, classical land
1: in in like North Carolina somewhere, right?
2: Hmm. Isn't that where they are? You stand in line to read a book. Yeah, classical uh, land. Classical land. Man, that sounds oh, great.
1: Hey. You would
0: not go to classical land.
2: It sounds
1: great. No, I
0: want roller coasters. <laughs> There's confession parties there. I'm on <laughs> <laughs> Those yes, confession parties. That's <laughs>
1: uh, So, yeah. Speaking of confession party, so Andrew Kern founds this uh, this group, this Cersei thing, twenty-ish uh, uh, years ago, I believe, initially as Cersei Ministries. And then, uh, you know, as we've already found with the changing acronym, maybe some kind of things have been added on. Again, when first started, they didn't actually put on a conference. That was something that came on later. Uh, I believe Cersei Ministries initially was for Andrew to write his book. So Classical Education Movement Sweeping America, which came out in 2001, Mm. I want to say, I think. So uh, what's that? Quite some time ago as well. About 20 years ago as well. Man,
0: time's flying, boys.
1: Uh, does 2001 feel that long ago? Yeah. Okay.
0: No, it doesn't feel that long ago. But I was a senior in high school. But we had grade 13, which was a bummer. Yeah. Let's graduated in 03. From, From high, school? Or high, school? Uh, high school? High school. High school. Yeah, yeah. But, th- but that's
2: 20 years ago. No, know, yeah. man. How does it
1: feel? It's the same. When
2: people are like back in the O, you know, the double oots. O's 20 years ago. Man, I feel so ancient. We still don't know what to call it. The aughts? It's the aughts. No, Yeah, why not? No, the like, zips. The no, oots. I hate that.
1: <laughs> it's the aughts. Why not?
2: Null, no, the nulls,
1: null
0: no years. No,
1: it was all two, uh, So, speaking of oh two oh three oh four, I don't know. Uh, you were like so
0: seven, don't even. When I graduated from high school. No, you were seven years old
1: in 03. <laughs> <laughs> in 03, I wasn't because I graduated high school in 2007. So, uh, I was 14. four years younger than me. Yeah. Yeah. So. Am I you young?
0: Are, yes, you are but a babe in this world. But a
1: babe in this world. I was 14 when you were older than that. I'm grizzled. And this guy just
2: buying a house for know, his first sorry. time. Is he uh, uh, your, your first time? Second time. Second oh, time. Doggone
1: Okay, so... Two houses. I'm rich. Okay, so whatever. So let's... let's uh, so Andrew Kern is, is a great guy. Uh, he... Uh, so in honor of coming up on 20 years of having... Been involved in this work, that's what uh, uh, this book of essays was put together in his honor. So, uh, I already the, this name was do- was joked about before, but festschrift is one name for it. But the name of this book, Liber Amicorum, is another name for this like genre of a book of essays in honor of someone. I don't know. Do you want to talk about your your father has received one of these as well? Well, my dad
0: retired. He got a festschrift yeah. Um my dad was a professor at the University of Toronto, Wycliffe College, yeah. um, New Testament professor. And yeah, and so as a retirement, uh, a bunch of—I can't remember if it was his colleagues at the uni- at the Wycliffe that did it, or yeah. if it was other New Testament scholars around the world. Um, I think it was the latter, the other New Testament scholars who were in the same field who put essays together in his honor, which
1: is kind of nice. No, for I will, him to retiring. I apologize for putting you on the spot. I'm sorry. Did you read this book of essays?
0: I don't even think I got a copy of it. Um, <laughs> again, my dad retired around. Uh, COVID time yes. and so everything was kind of crazy so yeah. I have not I don't think I've received a copy um, he finished his last or what he called his last I don't know if it's going to be his last but he finished his big um, one of his last big scholarly works and I got that as a gift during COVID yeah. that I have not read okay. <laughs> sorry dad
1: but because the thing I'm trying to fig- figure out again I'm not this is not a genre with which I'm particularly familiar but mm-hmm. in reading through this book there are some of these essays that are essays on classical education so mm. it's just mm. and having been to society for classical learning conferences before it's you know lessons that they've taught before it's something about classical education that they made an essay out of but included in this book but it's not really about um andrew kern it's not really like it's just uh, material on classical education that they're providing for this book while some of them are very much about how um can i call him andrew that feels wrong mr kern what uh, i can't Andy, Andy, the Colonel, uh, that some of them are very much about how Andrew Kern, uh, impacted someone or how a quote really kind of set a direction for their life. Um, we'll read through a few here, but I think most of the ones that are, that were compelling to me here are ones about Andrew himself. Um, and so I'll, I'll give you a couple of those and I'd like to just hear your responses in light of you all having interacted with him before been to hear him talk before, um, so I guess I'll go into that. Um, so the, the, this book of essays is split into uh, a, f- a group of different sections. I'm sure I could tell you what they are on language, on pedagogy, on virtue, on cosmology, and on friendship. We're actually starting in the on friendship section toward the end. So uh, maybe this will end up being a, a Graham question for what he thinks about this. Uh, as always, I'll just be reading sections and we'll go into comments after that. I was walking down the sidewalk. This is a uh, sorry. Mm. Uh, Tim Macintosh wrote this uh, essay, Hamlet and the Collapse of the Cosmos. Uh, do you mm. all know Tim Macintosh? I think he. I think he's a playwright. He uh, started is, Apple. Yeah, he's uh, yeah big big into <laughs> Apple. Uh, he's the CEO now, isn't he? Isn't yeah, that right. Tim Tim uh, McIntosh, Tim right, Macintosh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, playwright. Lucky name. Uh, it's a good name. Uh, he uh, um, also is one of the co-hosts on Close Reads. Um, hmm. and I don't know if he's on the plays, the thing, um, but,
0: uh, they have better reviews than us.
1: Close reads. Yeah. They're a great podcast. Do they really, mm-hmm. they're a great podcast. What are we doing wrong? Uh, they've been around longer than us. First off, they have a great, their series on Jaber crow is really, really good. It's an old one, but it's very, very good. Um uh, Seems like the, the longer that, we're around, the worse
2: our reviews get. <laughs> that's so. not true.
1: We had a great spat of five-star reviews when we weren't actually publishing episodes. <laughs> is that
2: when we asked for happy ones for Graham? <laughs> no, no. We only got one from that, and it was a very good one. So uh, more of
1: those, please. No, uh, Close Reads is so good, they started their own like Close Reads network, basically. So they have uh, oh, wow. the Daily Poem, and I think the plays The Thing is one of their – I don't know why I know so much about this. Because you listen to them. I uh, I haven't listened to uh, Close Reads in a while, but anyway. Uh, Hamlet and the Collapse of the Cosmos is the name of this uh, essay. I was walking down the sidewalk one afternoon when Andrew called. I paused beneath a large oak tree and thought, this should only take a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Three hours later, I was still beneath the oak tree. The sun was dropping on the horizon and Andrew's passion was rising. He was telling a grand story about the collapse of an ordered picture of the cosmos. In Andrew's story, Pythagoras deeply underrated had bequeathed an organized cosmos to the medievals who had synthesized his view with a deep understanding of the logos. This harmonious universe thrived until Galileo, the first modern man shattered it into a thousand tiny pieces. Now we all feel like Hamlet worried and anxious. The cosmos, nothing but a foul and pestilent congregation of vapors. Mm -hmm. The call was classic. Andrew equal parts, dreamy mournful, brilliant, and slightly bonkers. Really? (laughs) Hamlet is about the collapse of the cosmos? As we talked, I paced. I was in Oregon, Andrew was in North Carolina. Story goes from there. Uh, I,
0: I, that was my episode the other I day. Was the episode. Episode. <laughs> yeah, was we I read we, this and I was did like, that well, one. "We did this. Literally, we
2: did this one." Where are our reviews? <laughs> we got great reviews. We're not taking that essay for
1: granted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess you read Hamlet no. the same way as uh... I think he's dead on. Okay.
0: Oh yeah, Hamlet of we- uh, the, 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 the collapse of the cosmos. I mean, sure. I, it's probably I probably even heard Andrew make reference to this at yep. an SCL off. He probably said it, just said it off the top of his head, and that was that. Planted a seed in my mind because i had been teaching Hamlet for ten years. It's like he is correct. That is but the, a thing. Hamlet is the modern man. No, that Hamlet has this. The anxiety of Hamlet is because the universe no longer is ordered or makes sense. You've got this like shift. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's onto it. Into it.
2: Not that he has to figure out if his uncle's a murderer. And then well, there's kill that, him. but there's but I that's mean that's not an issue
0: in his anxiety. But hey, uh, AJ,
1: do you disagree with Graham's reading of <laughs> Hamlet? No.
0: Yes. No, AJ, you're 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 exactly you you are correct. Um, but when Hamlet is thinking about whether or not I should do this, he also has like these, he doesn't even know if the universe he's in is one that makes sense where honor honoring your father is worth doing. I'll,
2: yeah. Oh yeah. He, yeah. he doesn't have any ground for yes. action at mm-hmm. all. And then by the end he is so in, in, unable to act. He says acting doesn't matter. Being ready is the yeah, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is pretty yeah. weak. Yeah. yeah.
0: Anyway.
1: Yeah. So, AJ, do you think uh, Graham is reaching in this uh, reading of Hamlet? Do you agree with this like cosmology argument? Of that like, Hamlet has
2: lost a cosmos? Yeah. And
0: that's what it's about? It's not about. central, but it means there. Well, what, what cosmos has he lost? What has caused this fracture? Um, uh, when he's talking about the quinti- a man as a quintessence of dust, when he's... Um, um, I'm trying to think. That still seems to jive with a Christian framework. No, you're right. Um, let's see, where, what would be the example...
1: It's the ordered universe stuff you were talking about before, that there's no meaning to. Yeah. Anyway, well, I don't want to. Oh, we don't have to keep going. I, oh. the, the, the part that I found, the part I'm looking for, AJ, is if you often have made reference that Graham is perhaps overreading into stories, that there are themes sure. that he'll
2: pull out that you don't think are present sure. in, the, in the story. The... Collab- trying to bait us, maybe. Yeah. Is that <clears throat> I'm always trying to bait him too. Yeah, 100%. The collapse of Hamlet's world is—I uh, would just need maybe a little more evidence, but he—he he certainly acts as though his world is collapsing, and he doesn't have good ground for action. He there—it does seem to be a framework. He's not willing to kill his uncle in the church because that'll send him straight to heaven. Mm-hmm. He does think of man as a quintessence of dust. He does break up with his girlfriend.
0: The—the the ghost tells him about purgatory, which is not what the classical version of purgatory sounds like. So he's telling them this, like...
2: It's a little bit different, yeah. but it's still there, right? But he it's says very different. He's like, to- I get to
0: wander around at night, but then I have to go back and I'm getting tortured before I can go to heaven. And, uh, and Hamlet doesn't, like, question that as suspicious.
2: Yeah, so there are some changes there, but Hamlet certainly does act as though his world is falling down around him.
1: Yeah. yeah. The only thing I'm trying to draw out is that in the course of this conversation, essentially Andrew and Tim are on... Not If not opposite sides, Tim has many questions as to what Andrew is seeing in the story that leads to that interpretation. It reminded me of the dynamic you two have had Hmm. in talking about uh, Hamlet. That was the only thing that I found interesting in that. What would
0: you say? I'm the crazy guy. Uh,
1: I don't think Andrew is crazy. I think Sylvia. Uh, uh, The end of this... uh, uh, the end of this essay goes, For years, Andrew and I have argued across this divide. The dispute has sometimes grown heated. I've grown frustrated with Andrew, and I'm sure he has grown frustrated with me. But the heat between us has never come to a boil. I think it never will. Andrew is too magnanimous for that. It's so, a jive with uh, the, uh, your interactions or having a We never boiled. <laughs> no, I don't mean that. I mean, oh, <laughs> that's because I'm always watching them. Yeah, yeah. Your so uh, watch uh, pot never boils. You're so
0: tepid. And I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: But I think one of, uh, again, Andrew Kern's strengths is uh, if anyone, I'll just keep talking while they're giggling to themselves, um, that if you were to like listen to the Ask Andrew podcast or listen to, I think Perpetual Feast is the one on um, Homer on uh, Iliad and the Odyssey, uh, that uh, his mind is always like looking for connections between all of these um, works that he has consumed and thought deeply about over, again, his 20 plus years of working in classical education uh, land, space, whatever Mm -hmm. we're calling it. Um, so I think again, for having seen him talk, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that's what you all have seen as well of this, some, you're just seeing this broad knowledge of, of history of literature being brought together, somehow synthesized, um, even if it's difficult to follow at times. I mean, that's kind of the, the joke you're making. Mm-hmm. Before.
2: He's been thinking up on the mountain so we don't have to. And when he comes yes. down, that thought is evident. Yeah. yeah. His face is all
0: shiny.
1: <laughs> does he come down with stone tablets too? How, how, how far does this go?
2: I had to to give up my golden cap every time. That's unfortunate. That cost
1: a lot of money to make. I was going to say, all those golden caps. Uh, Okay, so I'll I'll give you another one. This is uh, from David Hicks. Hmm. Uh, Who is David Hicks? Wow.
0: David Hicks wrote an essay for him? That's so nice. Yeah. David Hicks wrote the book Norms and Nobility. We've done, we've talked about David Hicks. Did we do an episode on his essay, Can Classical Education Actually Happen? Yep. Or did we scratch that episode?
1: No, that episode came out. Oh, okay. We, you... Uh, I've, I've told the story before. You were going to lead an episode on that, and mm-hmm. then one of us fell asleep, and so we didn't do that mm-hmm. one. Instead, I eventually led that episode, and somehow everyone stayed awake.
0: It's because clearly yours was much more engaging. Yeah, that's obviously the takeaway from that. Did I fall asleep? I didn't say that.
1: Okay, so... Did I this, actually fall asleep? Yeah, do you not remember this? This is so funny, because we've talked about it before, we've too. We've talked about it so many times. This is so you funny. You just eaten. I mean... And I think you hadn't slept the night before. It's the day yeah. you showed up in pajamas. Do you remember that? <laughs> and you just like. I'm so sorry. It was very funny. So it was, I, I worry about you sometimes. <laughs> uh, okay. So this is on, this is from the On Virtue section, uh, Tenacious Andrew. Uh, I'll just read a few uh, sections on this. Um, I'll jump around the essay actually a little bit. I first met Andrew Kern on the vanishing edge of what remains of the American wilderness. He and his family were traveling in the wrong direction, west to east, and how he found me I either failed to ask or have since forgotten. While working on his college thesis, something having to do with classical education, he discovered in his college's library a book I once wrote on the subject. It is a rare college, I'm sure, that would have this book in its library and an even rarer and even rarer that someone would stumble upon it, and Andrew resolved to track down the author and have words with him. At least that's how I remember the story. On his family vacation? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? That, that like, sounds exactly spot on. Though, oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Can you imagine him dragging? Our like, our kids. <laughs> all <laughs> yeah. the kids. He has five, we're going to go see David Hicks kids. in the mountains. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Aww, like>, Dad. <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, I bet they were happy to go. I don't I bet they were good sports. Uh, now, this alone should tell us almost all we need to know about Andrew. Tenacity is his middle name. Without it, his intellectual curiosity, his belief in the merits of classical education, his loyalty to friends and love of family, his hunger for God and desire for true worship, none of these traits, as lovely and worthy as they may be, would have made of a mere trait a whole life. Um, The rest goes on to uh, talk about this tenacity. And it is, uh, I'll I'll read this uh, wrap up paragraph uh, because this is more the the thing I wanted to come back to. Graham, you kind of made reference to the point we'll talk about in a second. So what has this detour into abstraction to do with Andrew Kern? Good question. Call it an attempt to conclude this tribute to him by giving an example of how it appears to me his mind works as he takes an idea, walks around it like the naturalist John Muir, walking through the woods, contemplating how each thing is attached to everything else and all are held together and in balance by the logos, without which nothing by itself lives or can be said to be true, beautiful or good. So it's a, uh, a wandering, perhaps rambling uh, rambling makes it sound negative, but a kind of wandering around an idea to, to get to the heart of something. Uh, I think you all made reference that this is how you all have seen his talks go before mm-hmm. you want to say more about that.
2: It's, it's not a condemnation. It's That's not, the first no, thing to say no. is that Andrew Kern is so full of ideas yeah. that whatever he intended to say usually kind of goes by the wayside. And then he talks about a thousand things, all of them wonderful and illuminating. And then, during the question and answer period, someone will say, but how does this apply in the classroom? Or how can I build a test off of this? He's like, well, does, do your tests bless the student? And then, you know, you'll be... He, <laughs> I love stuff like that, though. It's <laughs> awesome. And that's the thing. He's not there to, to help you put together a multiple choice. Yes. He's there to ground you in theory that should drive your test-making procedures, yes. right? He's he's building the scaffolding from which you can build the house. He's not going to build the house for you.
1: I think that's a great metaphor. And, yeah.
2: and it's wonderful. Yeah. If you ever have the chance, don't think, oh, I'll never learn about whatever he's talking about. It's true. But yeah. you learn about a lot of other stuff, and it'll be great the whole time.
1: It feels like material that's meant for contemplation, mm-hmm. not not meant to be immediately implemented. If yeah. that's a, I've I've certainly heard him say before <laughs> that he, he, he despises this kind of attempt to uh, separate between the practical and the theoretical, because those two should be, like, merged together into mm-hmm. one. Um, and so I think he sees what he does as, as deeply practical. Yes. It should influence everything that you do. Mm-hmm.
2: But that doesn't mean that it's how to
0: write the test or anything Yeah, like implementation that. might be left to lesser minds. To
1: the Left to the <laughs> listener, right, yeah. to figure it out for themselves. When
0: I think of Andrew Kern, I just looked it up on my phone. The, do you know the Flammarion engraving of the Flammarion picture of the man who's looking underneath yes. into yeah. the universe? Yeah. AJ, this is what mm-hmm. I'm making reference to. Maybe we can – we'll um, – um, put it on show notes or whatever. That's what I think of when I think of Andrew Curran. I think of the person who, like, is goes behind and looks into the ordered cosmos of the universe, and that's what that old medieval etching or painting is, is the person who's cool. yeah, getting in underneath. So for those who are listening, the, the picture is, I think it's maybe even Copernicus, but it's somebody who is um, uh, uh, sort of lifted up the side of the sky as if it was a curtain and has poked his head out underneath it, and behind it is all of the sort of inner workings of the cosmos—the spheres and the stars and the heavens—and he's looking at it with like a bewild- with like a whoa look on his face. And I've always thought that that was a great image, and that's why I think of when I think of Andrew Kern is so it's cool. someone who's gone and done that, and then is coming back and trying to relate it to us.
1: I think that's a great metaphor for it. Which mm. then uh, it's almost there's too much. Knowledge to impart to be able to do mm-hmm. that uh, succinctly or or concisely, right? There's just too much to want to, to give to someone. Um, his, if you're, I think my introduction to his long form speaking was uh, he, he did this, I think it's a six part series teaching from a state of rest. Mm-hmm. Were you all in person for this? No, okay, I, I don't know if it was at SCL or, or where. Um, but again, it's it's six parts, it's I think. Probably it's probably roughly six hours long, um, and it it covers everything from like <laughs> just a history of all intellectual thought to homeschooling to classical education to operating in a high school or to like operating in a school. Like it just it is about everything in this contemplation of what is it to what is what is rest. Um, um, I'm something I'm sure we've brought up in the podcast before is that this word school comes from skole, which means leisure or rest. Than looking for a way to incorporate that into how one does school or how one educates someone, um, it's uh, it, it, the same thing that you all have said. I could see someone being very frustrated if you're looking for I want to make my homeschooling program more restful. How do I do that? But in terms of like a worldview that will uh, show you how to think more profoundly about these topics, that's mm-hmm. exactly what I think Andrew is uh, is spot on with. Or
0: in helped. the in the selection of essays, does it talk at all about like? What kind of church denomination he grew up in? We,
1: I think it's in there. If you
0: want to flip because the, the story I remember is, I think I remember listening to a podcast where he was talking about himself as a young man given an opportunity to preach a sermon when he was young. Huh. And um, and I and and it, what I seem to remember is if he's not if he didn't grow up in the Brethren Church, he grew up in something Puritan like that because and he. Um, because in the, those denominations, it's almost like a rite of passage or a thing that you do is that you let the young men – you'd say to them like, all right, you're going to be speaking a word this Sunday. And so in the Brethren Church, there's a, a, a time of, of – in, in the worship service where it's quiet. and Anybody who has a word from – anyone who can sort of stand up and, and give some thoughts that they have about their own like devotional Bible reading time and so you stand up and you give a little like tiny little impromptu sermon – and he was making reference to having done that when he was a kid um, and he was talking about like embodied rhetoric and the use of rhetoric and um, like speaking words to a community and he was like everyone in the community knows the bible better than me mm. they're not learning anything from a 14 year old giving a sermon but there's something about the act of having of giving the 14 year old the responsibility of giving a sermon and he was making drawing some connections about about the community cu- the community that rhetoric brings and I was listening to this as I was working in the yard one day and I had to stop and like sit down and I – because that was – I, I grew up um, going uh, – my, my grandparents were brethren and when I – you know, we would get those opportunities at Bible camp. They'd be like, all right, you're going to preach a little sermon and you're like 14. You're like, oh, sweet. I'm like – obviously I'm smart and pious enough to do this and you say something hopefully not heretical. Um, and anyway, it was – he was just talking about like the nature of rhetoric – in community of people, and you're not teaching them for their benefit, but it is for their benefit because you are learning how to teach and preach, and um, that, I just remember that that struck me because um, that was that was a thing that I was asked, you know, that, that was something that every sort of 14-year-old in the brethren world gets to do at some point, and I just remember doing that, and I had totally forgotten that I had done that. And just bringing that back just made me very like sort of nostalgic and thankful. Anyway, anyway, I was wondering if he had if that was his denomination that he grew up in or something similar to that. If they made reference to it in the book,
1: I don't. There's a prologue uh, that talks about his his uh, growing up. I didn't. I don't mm. see that in there. No. I I could have sworn there's something about it, but anyway. I, I, it's not coming up right now. So apologies for that. Uh, just in line with kind of this topic, this is an essay from. Heidi White on Andrew and Socrates. Uh, It's uh, again, this kind of question about the theoretical versus the practical. Um, uh, She's talking about having About listening to Andrew Kern at the Circe National Conference, I quickly learned why many held Andrew in high esteem. He was eloquent, articulate, inspirational, brilliant, wise. But it was more than that. Minutes into listening to his plenary address on mimesis, I recognized that I would have to rearrange my daily life to pursue the goodness he was revealing. My urgent response was neither the result of his celebrity magnetism nor his swollen ego. The man is professionally free of both. It was something more... I'm sorry. It was something much stronger and more dangerous. Andrew's words were uh, more than sp- smart and skilled. They were true. And since truth breathes action, I responded accordingly. Um, that is, that part is funny because I believe later in the essay, she then says the exact same thing of like, she heard Andrew again, and then also had to re- rearrange her life or daily life to accommodate that. Like, that's the effect of listening to two talks like this. It's true. Mm-hmm. Have you had to change anything mm-hmm.
0: after a current talk? Yeah, I, you listened, I think you listen to Andrew and you I can't... I'm trying to think if there's one... I've thought
2: constantly about how my tests bless my students.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing is, there's just... Yeah. There's much in... that you can. The, he's had such an influence that I'm like, did I hear that from Andrew or did <laughs> I hear that from other people who've heard that from Andrew? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, teaching, blessing your students... I think the the universality of things um, I mean yeah there's yeah I'm, he makes you want to just read
2: yes so it like, makes me want to be smarter yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, yeah
0: he makes you just want to read and like absorb everything and um, um, He's made me, yeah, the thing that probably the biggest influence was making me think, realize that Shakespeare was, Shakespeare fitted into this classical world more than sort of the Shakespeare that I was taught, which was like, Shakespeare was like a postmodern man embarrassed to be born in Elizabethan England. Hmm. That's sort of how Shakespeare is presented. Like, he, his, his tastes are our tastes. Um, anyway
1: the part I'm trying to look for is in line with what you're talking about of, um, uh, like the ideas are, are are seep so deeply into the way that you think about classical education is, um, I'm sure I won't find the exact quote for it right now, but the, the last essay is, um, by Renee Mathis, a grateful apprentice about, um, Renee's involvement with Cersei, coming through the apprenticeship program to then be involved in, um, and working with Circe. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's essentially that of like um, the idea that, again, the, the, the core of it is that these ideals of what it is to do classical education or to be in a classical environment, you can't like writing out the rules for it won't work. These things are embodied in specific people. This is not distant from, Andrew's idea of mimesis—that we learn by this kind of mimicking process, um, where yes, the student is the one learning, but the teacher is modeling this love of and engagement with the material that then the students are are mirroring back and then and then doing for themselves. Um, but yeah, just just this. I, yeah, all I'm trying to get to is that um, these things have to be embodied in people, and this is something that Andrew's been able to do for 20 years, and I think that's part of what is important about his contribution, not just the writing he does or the speaking he does, but just being the kind of person that you then want to be in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Right. To mimic that.
2: Um, it's hard to have dinner with him and not want to be a little bit like him. Is that, uh, mm-hmm.
1: I want to hear more about this dinner. Was there anything like, uh, Did you, we had,
0: I mean, well, I think we had, we had dinner. Yeah.
1: Did y'all yeah. ask him questions? What'd y'all do?
0: It was probably the closest thing that I've ever felt to being like, like a Jew with a rabbi. Like like he was like this elder like the, the the scenario was like that like he was sitting there and it was a bunch of young men and we were all sort of like huddling close and like leaning in and trying to listen and he was just sort of like talking and and we were just sort of like oh yeah nodding I don't know I just in my mind I, that that was that was the image that I had was like you know the the rabbi and then all the these sort of um, the people who were sitting around wanting to learn from him do you remember that dinner? Nope. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened? Can you remember? I remember the one with Luis Marcos. No, that was a different dinner. That was just us and Luis Marcos. Yeah. But, um, oh,
2: this was a large This was a different group. thing. This
0: was a dinner was a dinner. I know I've CL. been to some dinners with him. Yeah, yeah. And I, and he just sort of continued to, to talk about whatever the topic at hand was. Yeah. Um,
2: my yeah. proudest moment was pitching my Iliad Book 22 idea. If, if you're a listener, you can go back and listen to that episode about how it's a microcosm of the whole Iliad. And I was like, am I late? Am I late coming to the party? Does everybody already know this already? Is it there? And he's like, it's there. I've never heard it before. Oh, yeah, I was like, cool. yeah, I, just, I had a little party in my head and tried cool. not to act too excited. It's got to feel
1: pretty good. Um, I'll move on to an, uh, another essay. Maybe we'll spend a little time here and then wrap up. So another uh, contributor to this book of essays is Mr. Joshua Gibbs. So, of course, we're going to read sections from that. Um, so I, I think yeah, I think Josh might've given this quote when we were, when we, during the interview he did a couple months ago for the, for this podcast. Uh, this is, it's titled willing to die as this is Joshua Gibbs. Many years ago at a conference, uh, uh, a Cersei Institute conference, I overheard Andrew Kern say a classical school has to be willing to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was still in the first stage of my career, which meant the claim was a revelation, uh, I'll give some of his justification for that in a second, but, uh, just to start with that idea, a classical school has to be willing to die. Uh, what, what comes to mind? Like, what is he? Yeah. What do you think he's talking about? There?
0: Well, I, I know what he is. I mean, go for it. I, th- I don't know if I was at the same talk. I've heard him say it, that a school has to be, have principles that it's going to hold to. And even if no one is willing to, co- if like no one's going to come to the school and like follow by those principles, or you're not going to be able to pay the bills. um, you're gonna. You should. You need be willing to die for die and be okay with that, as opposed to then become like your, you know, you know your. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Your run-of-the-mill, milk-toast sort of regular right. school that's just that uh, is churning out grades and graduates and so you, putting in more sports programs and charging higher tuition and going for it. Yeah, can't serve both God and money.
2: Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. If your if your school is there to make money and stay alive, then you Bog are going variety, to that was, go. Sorry.
0: A, what bog bog variety? variety that was the that was the term i was trying to remember what's bog variety bog variety is like um your standard you're kind of just like find it in bog no yeah it's just sort of like your. i don't know what's bog variety you don't use this in, use this in america no,
1: no i assume you make up all these phrases
0: i don't make these phrases
1: up you used another one during our ama something about mittens what was that one oh nifty mittens I've that's never, definitely
0: canadian i've never heard that one. Oh, that's just you have you have sweet hands um for, for hockey,
1: common or garden, yeah. garden
0: variety, garden variety, bog variety, that kind of thing. That's funny. Yeah. Sorry.
1: no you get. Uh, I'll just keep going with it, and then we'll uh, get some more thoughts. Inexperienced teachers often have a disproportionate fear of losing their jobs. They go into meetings with angry parents, thinking, "What do I have to say to pacify these people?" And they accordingly backpedal and apologize for whatever offensive thing they have said or done, <laughs> no matter how necessary or just it was. Many young classical schools suffer from the same temptations which plague young teachers. And so they are not sufficiently austere and authoritative in their communications and iconography. They smile too much as Darcy complains of Jane Bennett and err in presenting themselves as families and communities and businesses, but not institutions.
0: Josh Gibbs spends a lot of time talking about meetings with angry parents, which (laughs) leads me to think that he's had many meetings with (laughs) angry parents. (laughs) And I have not had very many. And and I often wonder I have had maybe in my life, In 10 years, I think I've had three parent meetings where Mm. a parent was upset about something that I had done or said.
1: And were they grade-related?
0: One was not. One was grade-related. And the two that I I remember – but the thing is I just don't have very many of them. I've had emails, but like actual meetings and that makes maybe four and that makes me think that like i'm not a good teacher like <laughs> that i should be having more angry parents I but think, i'm also very affable at least i'm a canadian so.
2: and veritas does a really good job of filtering out parents that aren't Ooh. on board for the kind of things you teach fair point fair point right so we're enough. sort of they do the filtering beforehand so you don't have to defend yourself yeah
1: yeah i think you have a good administration that's also fielding a lot of that yes, before I think you're exactly long yeah, right. before for it gets sure, to yes, you for sure no, for sure i think that's the other side of it mm-hmm. um, that could be uh, I will say most of his articles about those meetings are hypothetical uh, meetings, right? Like he'll, uh, his Cersei uh, Institute blog posts are usually like hypothetical. I know, discussions. But, they, but
0: they come up so frequently <laughs> that it leads me to think <laughs> they come from experience. They come from experience. Um,
1: that's perhaps fair. Uh, where, AJ, the ones you've had where they, again, I assume it's like a, a, the kid gets a grade they don't like.
2: Only two were about one but uh, one one and a half was about grades yeah out of the four the other were was like a decision on a trip yeah the other one on one was about a like a thesis topic yeah, yeah. not but, usually about grades
1: but um uh, i'm just uh, the do you do you identify with this worry about the student about being liked, essentially. I mean, that's what he's getting at here. Or, or do you identify as a new teacher of this desire to not make waves, yeah. to not stand for something, to kind of, if there's a disagreement, defer, let the other person have their have their side. Do you do you identify with that at all, or see it in teachers?
0: Yeah, I, I think there. I think because education is promises such a big thing, we are forming a child into an adult. And the payoff, the correct, the, the, to know if you've done it correctly or if you've done it well is something that you're not going to see for a while. Right. That there, for someone who is new, and especially for classical schools, which are themselves also kind of new, right. a rediscovery, there's a little bit of an anxiety in new teachers and in classical schools in general that, like, we hope that we that this works. Right. And so when it starts to be difficult in the moment, you need to have a tremendous amount of faith that we need to continue walking down this path and there's no there is no deviation that we can do. Any deviation away back to some kind of like transactive like you're trading up your grades for for money or for, like, a claim in this world. Like, we're not going back to that kind right. of thing because that's not going to be good for the formation of your child, right. even though that's everything else in the world. I think there's a lot of, like, anxiety that when the going gets tough, it's like, oh, man, maybe we should just, like, do what everybody else is doing and... Go easier. Go easier, and then we can maybe charge a little bit more. And, like, we're not going to attract – we're going to attract more parents because they're going to be like, well, I don't want to go to some wacky school that's doing this, like, crazy thing. I just want right. my kids to go to A&M. Right. Um, but and, hopefully
1: you filter those people out. Well,
0: that's what you, that's what you hope. But that's – I think what he means when he's talking about schools need to be willing to die. Yes. Which yeah. is you need to be willing to – yeah, uh, to hold on to the to, – to stay the course even if everyone else is going to bail on you. Yeah. My experience as a new teacher had nothing to do with
2: things I had done justly and parents were complaining about. It was largely, I had no idea what I was doing and everything was a hot train wreck. And so if parents were mad, they They probably had good reason Mm -hmm. to be. And so the, the, I have done a just thing and parents are mad doesn't, That hasn't happened to me very often. Usually when a parent has a complaint, it's because I screwed up. I didn't put enough information out for homework or Mm – like I've had two where I was in the right and the parent was in the wrong. The other two, the parents were right. I had been a doofus and they were right to call me on it. So I don't know. I don't have that I was overly wheedling and capitulative. I was a mess. (laughs) I think that's probably true for all brand new teachers is you're just trying to figure out your world. It's not about – like defending your just actions, you're yeah. like, okay, I don't even know how to write a test. Yeah, yeah, is that, I, is that
1: fair, Graham? Mm-hmm. I do think I think some of what he's talking about might be more at the again the founder stage, or it's two founders of mm. you've set this up. Can't we go easy on this? Like, do you really believe? Yeah, you know, is Latin really that important? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, or like pick your thing. Um, sure. He he says a little more. I'll just keep reading. Uh, it may be embarrassing for a young school to adopt the iconography of an institution, but it is a model that outlasts that of the family. Our families are our families because we must love them. We do not choose them. And it is the fact that fathers and mothers are not chosen. That means we are stuck with them. Also families do not die. Sons move away, but they come back at Christmas. However, a certain family at a school is around until the children graduates and then the family leaves and does not come back. Um, I offer this long digre- I am skipping over a section. I offer this long digression on the difference between family model schools and institutions because while they may have overlapping qualities, it never makes sense for a family model school to be willing to die. At least no more sense than it makes for a family to be willing to dissolve itself. So again the the hmm. point here that if the way that the institution thinks of itself is we are a family. Well, you don't kick people out of a family. Yeah. You you stick with them, you fight through everything or like you You work through things together, but you never change the nature of the relationship. It's still, you are a family. And that he's contrasting with an institution where institutions say, some people are members, some people are not members, and there has to be some dividing line there. Um, Does that, do you have thoughts on this kind of like family language versus institution language for?
0: No, I mean, I don't, uh, I don't think. Veritas talks about us as like a big family. I don't know. But that's just not really a part of, maybe that's part of mm-hmm. some schools, especially in the early stages yes, Probably do have kind of had this like, Oh, well you guys have been part of the school forever and your kids have always gone here. And so we're going to really make it work. But, um, um, AJ and I've never really been in those higher level positions of, of uh, where those sorts of realities would, would come into play for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, uh, I, yes. Uh, um,
2: Thinking of a school really-
0: as an institution is is, we don't really have, the history of it. Like, we have church in America. We've got churches and we've got families and we have um, universities. But like our schools, for, for predominantly, have been like you know government public schools, and that's it. And that has sort of its own thing. Right. But these sort of private institutions of bringing your child in to, like we have we understand of universities and college and what that means and what that looks like for the for the family and what, um, but schools, we don't really have the history of, of private schools and that kind of thing. New England does, but not
2: really. I think even thinking about Veritas as an institution is a little bit dangerous. I think the temptation in both situations, right. Talking about family languages, putting the family above the, the ideals. And then if we talk about Veritas as an institution, our danger is always putting the school above the things that we should be pursuing. Veritas, and this is one thing I appreciate, always talks about not the institution, not the families, but what is true, good, and beautiful, right? We are here to be faithful, to do what God wants us to do, and to teach things that are worth teaching. And the moment we flip that language and say, we are an institution, we're here to preserve ourselves— that's dangerous. Sure. That gets into the territory that some colleges are in where they lost sight of their original ideals and are now simply there to perpetuate the college. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. It's always what worries me about like um, endowments too because like, that kind of separates that incentive of needing to stick to what's true, get people to come on board. You can kind of... Um, just fall off the path basically. And mm-hmm. you have funding forever.
0: Oh, that, I don't worry about that with endowments. <laughs> yeah. You're okay having an i endow- Yeah. I'm totally fine with endowments. We're, we're gonna, I gonna, mean, that
2: means we can, we can, you know, draw it just means you stand. need to have
0: principled people mm-hmm. who are, uh, in the, uh, who are like leading the thing.
1: True. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll keep going. The institutional school is not simply willing to die, but makes itself a living sacrifice and carries on a cruciform existence. I think this is in line with what AJ was saying. The institutional school has not simply rejected the sentimental ease and convenient marketing strategy of the family model school. It has chosen to endure regular derision and assault. Unwavering loyalty to truth, beauty, piety, and good taste will invariably lead to accusations of elitism, primitivism, and self-importance. The refusal to adopt fashionable, uh, slogans, uh, will mean an institutional school is perpetually on the cusp of economic collapse. Fidelity to truth and beauty is rare. Thus it is profoundly valuable. And the world is willing to give quite a l- lot or offer to, oh, wait, hold on, uh, fidelity to truth and beauty is rare. Thus it is profoundly valuable and the world is willing to give quite a lot or to offer it at least to the man who proves apostate. A school which is willing to take its cues from uh, these kind of things of modernity will be bested by the competition. However, a school which rejects the spirit of the age will live on the cusp of death, constantly riding the line between the red and the black. It may sometimes die, but it will never be bested. I'll just take this last paragraph and probably move toward wrapping up. As a teacher, I have not always been willing to die, but I remember Andrew's proverb with chagrin every time I cave to a petty request that I raise a grade or grease a parent-teacher conference with flattery. However, on those occasions when I have the resolve to teach honestly, not flatter my students, confess my faults, and teach students to love not the world nor the things of the world, I have Andrew's dangerous proverb to thank. Um, so, it's so intense. I know. It, it,
0: that, <laughs> that's what we like about it, right? I know. But I mean, it's just. I feel like he, Gibbs as a man just gives off heat, like he's just a furnace.
1: Yeah. Like he, uh, stands for stuff. I don't, yeah. You got to respect it, yeah. or maybe not. I don't know.
2: Uh, so just to where
0: someone like you is just riding the waves. Oh, uh, uh, you're hanging ten. There's just no. Uh, that's closer to. That's closer to you, right? Like you I don't think c- I feel like I'm. A, I don't give off heat.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. You're uh, going oh, with. My, the
0: waves. I have a, uh, Anyway, I think of you more like soil.
2: You're <laughs> you're a place where things can grow. Big thing of dirt. Uh, <laughs> no,
1: I, I thought it was a flattering. It was a flat- <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> Just accept the compliment. No, it's very nice. No, it's just, I mean, I swear. Um,
0: oh. uh, it's just yeah. We 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 all say this in love. We love Gibbs. We've we've talked about Josh Gibbs a lot, and we consume his his books and read it, and we've been to his conference and mm-hmm. like it. Um, but um, um, he's an intense dude. Yeah, he's, he's, an intense he's an intense
1: dude. Do uh, Anthony Esselin doing the intro for uh, Love What? Oh, is Love What Last the next one? Really? His, his next book. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. So he announced it. I think he sent an email a That's couple, great. couple mm, weeks cool. ago. But, um, anyway, so I don't know. Andrew Kerner's great. So uh, he has, check out his, I don't know, go to the Searcy Institute website. It's great. Uh, in this book, Liber Amicorum, It again, you get this kind of benefit of you get up to speed on an important person in classical education land. You also, for those who are, if you are newer to classical education, there's quite a bit of material in here that is just helpful for what is classical education which again is probably the the topic you'll hear Andrew talking about the most if you were to, to look him up I mean he's way. got
0: the ask Andrew podcast
1: He does which which You should to listen
0: it. to but don't think that the title of the podcast is going to be what the podcast is about You mean AA Ask Andrew <laughs> <people, yes, laughs> oh, right. That's unfortunate um, because you listen to the you read the title and you're like oh cool yeah, this is like here do. we go, August 12th, 2020. How do I teach history classically? Rock and roll. I'm gonna go listen to that and learn how to teach history classically. Good luck. You're, that, that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's gonna, you're gonna be talking about like astronomy or yeah, something.
2: Yeah. The nature <laughs> the
0: cosmos. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I think I think he hasn't posted in like two years, isn't it? March 2021 is the Oh, last you're time, right, so? March 2020. Yeah, so, so it's um, been a while. So but the thing is, debunked. it is a
0: treasure trove it is. going all the way back. It's
2: an excellent resource. Yeah. So definitely check that out. Graham, There's, is that a bowl of pickles? Yeah, he's had that for a while. Yeah, yeah. It's a bowl of pickles. There's nothing else in there.
0: There's nothing else in there. I, I expected mean,
2: there to be some sort of salad or burger. It's no, just pickles. It's just he, pickles. He was
1: eating it all throughout your last episode on comp.
2: Yeah, I,
0: I was want, a little distracted. You want one? <laughs> What's the? Well, why? Why? Why pickles? I just found it in the fridge, and I like pickles. And That's so expensive. really, I figured, that was in the
1: fridge. You yeah. stole someone. These are
0: these were obviously for the, like the overflow Chick fil A pickles. Right from Chick fil A day on Wednesday. Okay, I also so, love pickles. Is
2: there, is there cheese on those pickles? No, those just are Cheese. Oh, I'm in. Can I? Have, can I? You married pickles. Oh my gosh! Uh, From mockery <laughs> to to Wrap
0: us up. Yeah. Who started this episode? Mm. Donaldson did. I did. So, this has been classical stuff you should know with Graham, Thomas, and AJ. Um, careful, there's juice in there. Um, so gross. And Thanks, man. Um, we love Andrew Kern. We love Cersei. And what? Pickles. I know. I great. like pickles. And uh, <laughs> so, so um, we. You can find us at the guys at classicalstuff.net if you want to email us. Um, Ooh, we're on party. Twitter, which, like, sometimes I like things. Uh, you, our website's classicalstuff.net. Our Patreon, you can patronize us on Patreon class- uh, backslash classical stuff. I don't know what it is. Just Something some like combination of yeah. letters, oh, we yeah, Just it. Google yeah. it around. You'll figure it out. Um, and uh, we thank you. See yeah, Thanks for listening, and um, we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye.